So let me just read the scriptures. Um, the last one was on having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And the gist of the message was that we do, that God's provided them for us. The only thing that hinders is do we really believe that we have them, that we have to stand in faith and believe. So here we are now. I'm going to read uh, verse 3 through 6 from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him, him being Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So today I want to talk about adoption, about being children of God. And really, the, the takeaway from the message is the same thing, that we have to believe that that's true. And, and, and in, the, in the faith of believing that that's true, it opens up all these things of the kingdom for us to walk and to become like Jesus. We encourage one another. I, I do it. it. It's been done for me. I've heard Teresa minister to people. It's like you're a child of God. You understand what that means. You're a child of God. But sometimes we don't understand what that means. And that's mostly just a function of two things, really, of growth and of hunger, right? We can come into deeper and deeper and deeper levels of understanding of what that means if we're continually desiring and hungering to know what that means. But the other thing is that sometimes our faith is shaken and we don't believe what the Bible says about us. So two things there. First is that we have to desire to understand what it means to be sons and daughters. And the second thing is, as we come into that understanding, we have to hold on to it with a grip of faith that doesn't release it based upon circumstances and things. God describes himself to us through his son Jesus as father. When Jesus says to pray, he says, pray the father this way. He's explaining to us and he's reinforcing for us that family is the very foundational building block of everything that God's trying to do. It, it's built around family. Fathers, husbands, wives, children, those relationships, when they're strong, then all things are possible. When, when they're broken or they're weakened, then all kind of things fall apart. If the family itself, the, the basic unit of God's plan is, is doing well and excellent, then it's easy for Holy Spirit to work through us. When we talk about adoption today, and, and really in general I think it's true, the conversation about adoption is, is locked into the conversation about identity. If, if you are biologically, well, I guess you've all been biologically born, right? Anybody raise your hand that has not been biologically born. That's a pretty stupid statement. We've all been biologically born, but the devil has even tried to will try to break those bonds of understanding our sonship or our daughterhood, daughterness, whatever that word would be, to a father. Like sometimes maybe a kid will make a mistake and the, and the father will say, you're no son of mine. Yeah. Right? To try to break even the easiest one to understand is the biological connection. To try and break that family connection down. So if, if the devil can get even a biological child to not believe that they're the child of their biological parents, where are they going to find their identity? Where does every kid find his identity from, from the moment he could have any sense of who he is? And where does the problem happen most about identity being challenged? Usually it's when you become a teenager. 
because you start trying to understand who you are because always your identity has been found in your parents, right, and in your family. And then you get a little bit older and you can start to have more reasoning in your mind and you start to question, who am I and, and, and do I really want to be associated over here? And even the devil uses that to try to get people to break away. That's why I tell Annika, and, and when, when Tanya and Ashley are, are able to understand, I'm going to tell them the same thing, that your Jesus can't be my Jesus. I heard Madison's dad preach a message one time about having a first love experience with God. How Madison and her siblings, their, their dad and his dad, and I think his dad, and they're all pastors. They've all you know, been huge and powerful guys in the church. So they grew up, they don't know anything but Jesus. The mom, on the other hand, I think didn't grow up that way. And she had a powerful experience with Jesus. It was a first love experience. And, and he was trying to explain to her that the kids had to have a first love experience. Otherwise, Jesus is go- their Jesus is going to be his Jesus. And if it's his Jesus, then you don't necessarily identify yourself. It's through your parents. And that's why my children, I pray, have to have a first love experience with Jesus that has nothing to do with him being my Jesus. He has to be their Jesus. Because ultimately their identity has to, well, you know, how much it's in me, I don't even know. But it's going to get challenged, and it has to find a right place to rest, and that has to be Jesus. So the the conversation about adoption is inextricably, you can't separate it from the conversation about identity. And identity is the place where the devil attacks us the most to try to get us away from Jesus. Okay, so today here's three things that I'm going to try to accomplish. First, that in Christ, we are God's children. That if you don't walk away, well, you need to walk away with more than this. But, but today, you need to walk away and be affirmed that if you are in Christ, you are God's child. Second thing is to expose some of the schemes that the enemy uses to cause doubt and unbelief in that fact that you are children of God. And then the third thing is to absolutely crucify that doubt. So that's what we'll hope to accomplish today, those three things. Before I go on, I... Sorry, I spit on my screen. <laughs> it's distracting me. I'm such a short attention span person. Maybe that's why there's no tears so close up here. We, we say it's for dancing places, but I think it's because nobody wants to get wet. Sorry, Dory, leave me alone. Okay, so one thing I want to establish, and it's, it's just a nit, but it's important to me, is that you know, people will say, well, we're all God's children, and we're not all God's children. Scripture says this in John 1 and in Galatians 3, uh, John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, now this is speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in Galatians three twenty six it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So three things. First, Every pe- all people, every person on this earth is an image bearer of God. Yes, they were created in his image. Second thing, every person on this planet that's ever been born, that ever will be born, is loved by God. It says, while we were yet sinners, he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. His love was prior to anybody's opportunity to confess Jesus unto salvation. So, absolutely every person that's ever been born has been created in the image of God. Absolutely every person that's ever been born is loved by God. But every person that's ever been born is not a child of God. They can't have the father relationship with God outside of that relationship with Jesus that brings them there. Okay. Let me read you some scripture. John 14, 18. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus speaking. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then the last one, Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. See, Jesus didn't come back, right? He came, he was Jesus, he was God incarnate in the flesh on this planet. He lived the perfect and sinless life. He accomplished everything that was required of him. He died in exactly the manner that he was required to be died to fulfill all the prophecies in scripture and all the will of God. He was risen on the third day from all the way dead to all the way alive. And then ultimately after I think 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the father where he sits today interceding on behalf of the world, on behalf of the church, right? Jesus did all those things, but he left. But when he left, they got all upset because he's Jesus. Nobody ever saw anything like they saw when Jesus was here. They're like, you can't go. You're Jesus. All this stuff is because of you. And he said, no, no. If I don't go, the Father won't send a helper. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. The way he came back in that context, not the, the return when he comes back in his glory on that day, but he came back in the person of the Holy Spirit, his spirit as son. And the reason he had to come back, I mean, there's probably a hundred reasons or a thousand or a million or infinite reasons, but one important reason he came back, the way the scriptures describe him is because we don't know how to be a son or a daughter. We're all corrupted by bad experiences with our natural father, bad experiences by watching our neighbor and how they did with their kids, all the fears and insecurities. We don't know how to cry out, Abba, Father, in a way that is reflective to the glory of the relationship that we've been adopted into. So he came as the spirit of the son into us so that we might cry out, Abba, Father. We might have some understanding. In Ephesians later, we're going to see Paul would pray that we would understand how deep and how wide and what is the breadth of his love for us that we can't understand as orphan children, only as adopted children that accept our adoption and have the spirit inside of us that connects with our spirit so that we can sincerely and truly and honestly cry out, Abba, Father, and have some sense for what that means to have God as our Father. Wow, I think that was one breath. Okay, got right through that part. All right, so... There's, there's probably lots of schemes that the devil uses to try to challenge us in this understanding, not just to understand, but to believe and to walk in what the Bible calls sonship. It includes ladies too, daughterhood, daughter something. There's three ways that I'm going to address today. The first is to try to get you to believe you're not adopted, that your adoption isn't real. Maybe somebody else is adopted, but you're not. The second way is to try to get you to think that you're somehow less than somebody else. And the third one is to try to get you to think that your adoption was canceled because you made a mistake. You committed some kind of sin, and now you can't be adopted anymore. Okay, first one, you aren't adopted. Some examples. Something bad happened to you, right? Something that you couldn't imagine as a parent ever allowing to happen to your child. And then the devil starts to get in your head and say, well, you know, if God is really God and you're really his son or daughter, how would that have ever happened? You must not be God's son. Another one is, however they get into your mind, we have certain expectations of God and what it means to be his child, and he doesn't meet our expectations. 
And we become disillusioned, probably with help from the enemy, in that, wow, am I really, is he really, is that my dad? Would my dad allow? So we have unmet expectations. And oftentimes, those things come because we compare ourselves to what we see in other people, right? I'm, where's Katie? I'm the only person who has any depression. That's what the devil wants you to think. But it turns out, I don't know, Margie or somebody said, two out of every ten people wrestle with depression. I'm the only one with cancer. I'm the only one with this. If God loved me, how is this possible? Because he works all things to good. He works a testimony. He uses those things. And like you said, Gary, if, the, if what we would consider the very worst thing happens, Paul said, hey, you know, it's better for you that I'm here. It's better for me if I go. Worst thing that happens is you go get to be with Jesus a little sooner. And you will never feel like that was a bad deal for you. I think God deals with us individually based upon what he knows about us individually because he's the one that wired us, knit us together in our mother's womb, knows the uniqueness about us. So when I compare myself to this person, I'm doing it out of such ignorance that it makes no sense at all because I don't know this person, and I don't know their challenges, and I don't know the things that God is trying to work out in their life, and the things he allows to happen so that he can shape them into exactly the likeness with their unique personality into Jesus. He deals with us based upon what he knows about us. And we can't doubt his goodness or his excellence as a father based upon what we experience because we don't understand even what's required for us to look like Jesus. Everything that he does is good. Everything that he allows is for good. There isn't any badness in him. It's not possible for him to make a mistake. So our faith has to be in trusting him that if there's anything, that's what I say. We talked about, like, Teresa's like, man, you know, I wonder if we're doing something wrong, you know, because God's allowing Isaac to go away and, and, you know, there's 15 people in the building. And and it's like, I have this conversation with the devil in my head and I have to rely on scripture. And the scripture says that, Paul, in one of his letters, says, you know, there's only this guy and this guy and this guy that are with me anymore. They all went away. They've all abandoned me. Jesus says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place in me. And they all went away. That's too nasty for me. Sorry, I'll go find a different Jesus. And he asked the few that remained, how about you? And they said, where would I go? You have the words of life. So my only prayer is, Lord, are there people in the church? Is there money in the basket? It can't be that prayer. It has to be, am I walking in your will? Because if I'm walking in your will, everything else is your responsibility. And you'll work it out to one person or to a million people or to a million dollars or to no dollars. My faith has to be in hearing your voice, walking out your will, letting you move me and push me when I miss it so that I can be in your will. And all this other stuff is not for me to be concerned about. Because Paul didn't cry about it. He said, this is just what it is. They had to choose. Well, none of that is in my notes. (laughs) The point is, You can't question your sonship or your daughterhood based upon your circumstances compared to somebody else's circumstances. And they shouldn't compare it based upon you. Right now, we're in such a season of joy. It's just so incredible. But there's a season of testing that's coming, I promise you. Because if I look in the mirror, I might see some changes and some transformation. I'm so happy that parts and parts of me look like Jesus, but parts of me don't. And, And it's through suffering that Jesus learned obedience. Is that right? learned obedience. So how would it be different for me? He never even had the the sin problem to have to deal with. Trust God. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. 
this is um, Jesus at the River Jordan. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. As Jesus was about to go into his testing, when he was going to go into that wilderness for 40 days and fast the whole time, nothing to eat, he was affirmed by his father. This is my son. In him I am well pleased. Can I just tell you, he's saying the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to me. If there's any place where I mess up, I don't stop being his son. He doesn't stop being pleased with me. He may not be pleased in the mistake that I made, but he is absolutely able to work that out of me so that he can be pleased in every way about my life and about yours. As he affirmed Jesus, he affirms us too. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I sent you. Would he send us in any way with less affirmation of him as our Father and his pleasure in us as children? I say no. So then the attack comes. Remember, this is the point about, hey, you're not really adopted. The attack comes. He comes out of the wilderness. He's at that physically weak point. He's being attended to, I think at this point, by angels. In Matthew 4, 3, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. He will always attack us where we're weak. Where are we struggling? Because that's the place where, where we may not hold on to our faith and exercise it to say no. In Matthew 4, 5, and 6, the next uh, skip of verse 2 more, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil came and attacked his identity. And then if you fast forward to the end, Matthew 27, 39 and 40, And those passing by, now Jesus is literally on the cross at this point. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. I just wonder what that looks like. Wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from this cross. Four things that we can take from those three sets of scriptures. First, the attack will come directly from the enemy trying to tell you you're not adapted. That's a flaming arrow. When we get to Ephesians chapter 6 and we talk about flaming arrows, this is that. The enemy comes, well, this might not. This might have been him manifested personally. I don't know. But when he attacks us, it's flaming arrows. Straight from the enemy, straight trying to get us to believe that we're not children of God. Second thing. The attack can come indirectly from the enemy. Again, when we get to Ephesians 6, we're going to find out the battle isn't with flesh and blood. So these people that are saying these things to Jesus, wagging their heads at him and saying these things, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God, trying to get him to doubt who he is. Because maybe he would have doubted and come down off the cross and then all bets are off because that wasn't part of the plan. So that's an attack from the enemy. It came indirectly, not from the enemy themselves by way of a flaming arrow, but he put the flaming arrow in their heads and used their mouths to speak the attack against Jesus' identity as son, just like he'll try to do to us. Third thing, you don't have to prove, you don't have to prove your relationship with God. You have to have belief. You have to believe your relationship with God. Jesus didn't jump. 
when Satan challenged him, if you're the son, to jump. Jesus didn't turn the stones into bread and he didn't come off the cross. He wasn't compelled to prove to anybody that he was the son of God. He knew he was the son of God. You do not have to prove your relationship with Jesus to somebody that tries to get you to doubt. You just have to believe in your relationship with Jesus. That's their problem because they're getting flaming arrows into their head and they're being used by the enemy to try to attack your identity in Christ and yours is solid and you need to know it and you don't have to jump through anybody's hoop because they're trying to challenge who you are in the Lord. Amen. All right. The fourth thing is the appropriate response is truth. I didn't read the scriptures here, but Jesus responded in truth. With the word of God. Jesus responded in truth with the word of God. Your response is to always stand in truth. See, when you... (laughs) I love Ephesians 6. When we get to Ephesians 6, I'm going to have so much fun. When you see the armor of God, if you took all of it, you took the shield and the helmet and the shoes and the belt and the sword and, and the breastplate, all those things, and you threw them into a pot and you cooked them down to their very essence, you know what you would find? Truth. That's what you would find. Truth. The shield of faith is when you place your faith in the truth of what God says, faith will guard you like a shield will protect you from the flaming arrows. When you walk in righteousness as truth would tell you how to behave and how to live your life, then the righteousness becomes like a breastplate that guards you from the attacks of the devil, that keeps you from opening any doors to the enemy. The sword itself is truth. What's the truth? It's the word of God. It's truth, 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 truth. So your only response is truth. Whether you speak it back to somebody if you feel like you need to or you don't, you stand in the truth. When he says, in the strength of God, stand firm. When, when the attack in the day of evil, all that stuff comes, your response is truth. What does the word say? I hear your voice. What does the word of God say? What's the real truth? That's where you stand. Because ultimately, that's what your defense is against all this nonsense. And when he, when he throws it at you, he's trying to get you to doubt whose you are. And your dad has given you the spirit of his son to lead you into all truth that you won't waver in those times. Okay. Second thing, you're less than. The, the lie of the family order of God looks like this. Here's Jesus. Then there's the Jews. Then there's me. Jesus, first, he's the highest order of son. Then the Jews, because God chose them as a whole people. And then there's me, because I came after all this other stuff. With regard to Jesus, Romans eight sixteen and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So Jesus, biblically, is not considered a higher ranking son than any one of us. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And it's awesome because it's not like my personal fortune. If I have $100, we have $100, whenever we go, that each of the kids is going to get one percentage. The way it works with God is everybody gets the $100. We're all co-heirs of everything that's God's. No second place to Jesus. We're literally co-heirs with Jesus in the same standing of Jesus because we're in Jesus. Second thing, with regard to the Jews, naturally, they were chosen in time before us because God had a plan of redemption and his son come through these people called Israel, right? But before the foundation of time, he says he predestined us as sons before the foundations of this world. So even though in time they were picked first, we are not second-class people. As a matter of fact, Paul somewhere, I want to say maybe it's Galatians, but I'm not certain. He said that, or maybe it's Romans, that they're not Jews who are Jews by blood, 
but they're Jews by the circumcision of their heart, by faith, the same faith that Abraham had in God, the same faith that we place in Jesus. We are not second-class sons and daughters to the Jews. We were preordained before anything was even created to be sons and daughters, just as they were. (laughs) And with regard to anybody else that I might not have thought of, Acts 10.34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. There is no partiality. And I have this experience because I have children that came in two different ways. I have biological children and I have adopted children. And if, if uh, the Jew is the, sort of the biological children and the Gentile is sort of the adopted child, I can tell you from a father that there is no difference in my love for my children. Not for Ryan and Joe as biological children, not for Annika and Tanya as adopted children. And you might ask Ryan or Joe if they perceive any difference, and they might tell you that it's a higher order to be an adopted child than a, than a biological child because I'm in a different place in my life in this season because I know Jesus in a way I never knew Jesus when we were raising them. So my ability to love is so much greater than my ability to love was that it might look like Tanya and Annika and Ashley, because she's our daughter already, whether she's here or not, she is, is, is they might perceive it, but it wouldn't be true. There is no favoritism. Any of you that are parents, you know. You might have a kid who's a stinker all the time and one who's almost never a stinker, but you don't love them different. You might want to beat them different, but you don't love them any different. You just can't because God's the one that gives us love. God is love and all love comes from God. And, and love in its real, pure, sincere essence, it can't hold one above another because there is no preference in God. He's no respecter of persons. So then, if this is the lie that says, as, as sons and daughters before God stand, Jesus is first, the Jews are second, and the rest of us are third, then the truth is, here is Jesus and so am I. Because I am in Christ. And when he sees me, he sees me in his son, no less than. Okay. Third one, you sinned, God canceled your sonship. You're out. You're not my son anymore. You made a mistake. You know, I thought about this. The, the story of the prodigal son is interesting. He, I don't know that he ever stopped being son from the perspective of the father, but he stopped being son from the perspective of himself. Right. And, and in all of his horribleness, everything that he did, he's so dishonored. If you read commentaries about that time in culture, what he did to his father was basically say, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine now. And he, and he walked away. But the minute the father could see repentance, as soon as he could saw him come, he could saw him. That's a good thing Christy's not here. There's Argentine preaching for you. As soon as he saw his son turn and come back, he didn't wait for him and then welcome him back into the home. He ran to his son. That's your father. That's my father in heaven. He's not counting his transgression. He put the robe on him. Get a ring for his finger. That's him towards us, no matter how we are towards him. You didn't get to be a son or a daughter because you didn't sin. You don't stop being a son and daughter because you do. Galatians 3.26 again, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The devil or anybody else tries to tell you you're not, you ask yourself, do I have faith? Do I trust in Jesus? If you can respond sincerely back to yourself, yes, you tell him, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. He is my dad and I am his son. Okay, this is one of my new favorite things, scriptures. It's the end of uh, the Gospel of John. John is saying, 
of all this stuff that he wrote. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here's the part that really rocks me. And that believing, you may have life in his name. So the key to life is believing. Anytime you're outside, Jesus says, the, the thief comes only but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. What's the difference? Where's my abundant life, Jesus? There's something wrong that you're believing. You've placed your faith in something other than what Jesus says. In believing, all these things, John says, and he says in another place here at the end of the gospel, he says, listen, it couldn't be written. The earth can't contain the number of books that would be required if I wrote down in any level of detail all the things Jesus did. So I write these things down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And in believing, you may have life. Trust what the word says. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Man, if you're ever struggling, read this scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to just just sow it into your soul so deep. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You feel like your path is all bumpy and messed up? There's probably some place you've placed your trust that isn't in God. And if he's allowed it to be bumpy, then say, Lord, thank you for the testing and the trying that you're allowing into my life to shape me into the likeness of Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. See, trust is a choice. Circumstances want to determine trust. But trust is a choice. If you got cancer and, and you feel like the, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is just die so all of this misery that's coming from the treatment would happen, you don't, you don't doubt the Father's love for you as a son based upon any circumstance. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lord, I don't understand this. I might never until I come to heaven understand this, but I trust in you for my well-being. And if somehow you've allowed this into my path, then I trust you to take it out of my path. I trust you to get me through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what? You're eating in the presence of those enemies as you're trusting in God. You're eating and feasting. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. There's many paths to family. All of them are about choice. All are valid. All are equal. So one path to family is marriage. People choose each other, right? Teresa and I, we are not blood relatives, right? But we're family. Why? Because I chose her and she chose me. Family. Second one, marriage. Son or daughter-in-law. They chose, right? My, our son Ryan met this girl, Krista, and he chose her. So we are married. We're family by marriage. Krista is now daughter by law, but she's still daughter. She's not less daughter. She's just a different path to daughter. Adoption. People choose each other and choose to be children. Sometimes someone will adopt a little teeny baby. The little teeny baby did not make a choice. Annika, she didn't get to choose. Nobody asked her if she wanted to vote as she would be part of her old family or part of our family. But we chose her, right? Tanya, she's different. She's older, We chose Tanya, Tanya chose us. There was choice. There was a second one. Her name was Regina. Just like us, just like God chooses us and we have to choose him, we chose Regina, but she didn't choose us. 
She chose not to be adopted, so she's not. It's her choice. Multiple ways to become family. All valid, all true, none better than the others. Biology. People choose. Ryan and Joe came because we chose. Ryan was a little sneaky choice, but we chose. (laughs) There is a certain amount of biology involved in that that we chose. He's our son because we chose to have sons, biologically. And then the last one is faith in Jesus to join his family. We choose. God, God draws us unto the son, but we don't have to go. Regina didn't have to come, and she didn't. We don't have to go, but we choose Jesus. We're children. No difference. All the same. Not one better, not one lesser. Biology isn't over adoption, adoption over in-law, none of that stuff. Sons, daughters, parents, the same, equal. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. It was always his plan for all of us, for you to be his children, chosen before the foundation of the world. Think about this. Not only were you known before you were, right? God knew you before you were knit together. Before the foundation of the world, you were known. And he had called you as sons and daughters, as children. He wanted you in his family. He chose you. Then he gave you the option to choose him. And best I know you all did. Here we are, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Sons and daughters of God, because we chose no less than anybody else, the same. So the question then becomes choice. You've been chosen. Do you choose to join God's family? I think you did. If you didn't, you don't have to be ashamed. You just have to choose. If you haven't said sincerely that your faith, your trust for your eternity, to have a relationship with God forever is placed solely and completely in Jesus Christ, you can. If you haven't yet decided to trade your life now for that life there by calling Jesus Lord over this life, it's okay. You can. You can weigh it. You can measure it. You can test it. You can ask questions about it. You don't have to be knocked over by a bulldozer of the Spirit to become children. You just have to choose. You choose Jesus, game on. You're in the family. Sons and daughters, we have to choose. The second thing, and really this is the gist of the message today, is once you've chosen, you have to trust and believe that you are. Just like Jesus, he's going into the wilderness. The father knew the tests were going to come. He was going to be physically weak. So he affirmed him, told him he was a son, told him that he was well-loved and beloved, that God was pleased in him. The same is true. He's speaking those words over us all the time, right now, today. So it's one thing to become a son. It's another thing to walk and believe as a son or a daughter. We have to choose to believe. Your father wants you to have life, full, true, and abundant. But that life comes by believing. The life that Jesus purchased for us is not a function of God's faithfulness, but our faith. So let me just, as we close, let me just pray over all of us. Matter of fact, before we close, when we do, if anybody needs prayer, if you've got any kind of hitch in your giddy-up, let's just please God by faith, and you can come and get some prayer for a healing, for if you're tormented in your mind, if there's anything at all, we need to pray together. We need to come together and pray together for God's will to be fully manifest in all our lives. That said, Father God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us the truth. You have equipped us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You have seated us in in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You have, through your call on us, through your choosing us first, you loved us before we loved you. 
invited us to be your children. Not second class children, not third class, not stepchildren, children, sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that unbelief and doubt is crucified in each and every one of our hearts. Each and every one of us will not be swayed by winds of doctrine, by flaming arrows, whether they come directly from the enemy or they come through people, that we will stand fast on the word that you've given us, that you will never leave us us nor forsake us, that we are children for eternity, and we stand in faith, Lord. Encourage and increase our faith. Use us when one of us is weak to encourage and to lift up the other one, Lord. Knit your body together by the perfect bond that is love. I thank you, God. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to serve these people. I thank you for the anointing that you place on each and every one of us, Lord, that your purposes and your will be done in all of us. Lord, use us this week, every day, Lord, to be your church everywhere we go. Bring in your light into dark places. Be in Katie with her joy and and somebody else with their knowledge of the word and, and just each and every one of us, Lord, to be about your business as we go about this life of serving so that we can have that life of awesome in your glory later. All our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.